0: Hey guys, it's Alan at Revival Cycles coming to you with the Handbuilt Podcast. We've been set on this for a couple years. We recorded this with Matthew Crawford. If you guys don't know who he is, you should. He is a um, New York Times bestselling author of the book Shop Class as Soulcraft. You should look that up, get it on Amazon, download it. You can get it easily. Uh, it's worth the few bucks you're going to pay for it. I personally was given the book by a friend who found some inspiration in it who is kind of like me. In so much that he uh, works with his hands, has been project-oriented, and has a lot more respect for uh, the tactile arts, as we call them, uh, as compared to the abstract of working on software, working on computers in an office all day. He and I are both kind of fed by the notion of working with our hands. And the book that Matthew wrote uh, was a perfect representation of that for me and inspired me, really, to accept the fact that I was going to have to work with my hands if you guys enjoyed this podcast enjoyed listening to it, please do share this with your friends and colleagues or anybody you think that might have some interest in this content. Uh, the more people that listen to this and comment, the more we'll do it if you guys like it. Uh, thanks for listening. We're here with a world-renowned author and New York Times bestselling author, Matthew Crawford, and we're going to talk about lots of things. One of which, I think, the main reason we're 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 excited about Matt visiting us here today, is because uh, he wrote a book called Shop Classes Soulcraft back in 2009, that kind of got my juices flowing. Certainly, a lot of people, I think, all over the the world, really, and he decided to come visit us.
1: Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me here. I'm uh, Matthew Crawford, and uh, as Alan mentioned, I wrote a book, Shop Class of Soulcraft, and I'm here in Austin, and I uh, thought I'd come see the uh, world-renowned revival motorcycle shop.
0: <laughs> that grabs me. I like that. Uh, uh, so, you know, as a, we were already talking, obviously, but as a refresher, in earlier today we are talking about the fact that in 2009 I read your book, cool. and um, it changed my perspective of how I saw myself which I think maybe was the point. I mean, I guess the big, vague question I wanted to ask was what started you on the path of actually starting to, to open that conversation for yourself? And
1: Well, ultimately, I wanted to change you, Alan. That's what, uh, that's what was my main motivation. <laughs> this one-eyed um, guy in
0: Texas that you knew needed some love, right? Yeah.
1: Um, nah, I mean, it was, uh, I guess it started as just an attempt to Make sense of my own work history and the fact that the jobs that I was supposed to want to do I didn't really want to do um, so uh and the, and you know on the other hand uh, jobs that didn't have all that much um, I don't know, prestige attached to them were ones that really kind of were the ones that got me out of bed in the morning, mm-hmm. so just wanted to make sense of that, and in the course of doing that, I you know discovered. A lot of interesting trains of thought and sociology and philosophy that helped to illuminate these problems and articulate it and um, I'm just glad that people like you and and others have you know found something in there that resonated with their own experience
0: yeah and to me that's kind of putting it mildly because I actually remembered uh, you know we met yesterday but at last night I remembered where I got the book it was our, our mutual friend Jeff Davis gave me the book as a present because he read it and said man this is Allen." right so because I think I'd been well, without a doubt, I'd been chasing. I'd gone back to school as an adult, trying to finish my degree, and I felt the urge to to do something that had prestige, in which I don't even like using that word, but there was recognition of as a professional, as someone that could go to New York or California or wherever I went, would go and have people go, "Oh, that's what you do," you know, that line. What do you do? Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to say, "Oh, I," you know, "I work on cars" or whatever. I, I there was shame in that for me, and. Uh, reading your book made me accept the fact that there probably shouldn't be, you know, there there definitely shouldn't be. And I'm fascinated with wanting to know, like, you know, you said you're just a few years older than me, but what started you? Like, did you grow up working on things with your dad or?
1: Uh, well, I remember I must've been, uh, about fourth grade. I wanted a, uh, a BMX bike Mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't think I even knew the phrase BMX. I just, you know, dirt bikes, what we called them. Right. And, um, there were some kids in the neighborhood who had gotten frames from a junkyard and kind of put their bikes together. And yeah, my dad did, took me to a junkyard and, uh, I remember this was down in Berkeley, down by the marina, and there's like seagulls flying around. It's just, it's literally just a a heap, you know, like a composting heap of crap. And, um, but there were, there was a section where somebody had pulled aside a bunch of like, you know, metal stuff. I guess they were sorting it. And uh, there were a number of bike frames. I got one. What I remember from trying to put together a bike, um, I guess, is two things. My dad introduced me to liquid wrench. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And um, and also that you can't take a crank out of a bicycle frame. That was the lesson I took away from it. <laughs> that there was just no way. Some years later, I was introduced to the concept of a left-hand thread. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, what do you mean you can't
0: take a crank out of a bicycle? No, yeah. you can't. Yeah, um,
1: <laughs> um, yeah. so... Um that's what I remember from that episode. My my family broke up shortly thereafter. I you know I was I don't know 8 or 9 or something like that. Yeah. But um so I grew up in this um this commune where uh you were working most of the day. Really? And when I this is actually just shortly before I turned 14, um I got recruited by the electrical crew. Because they needed somebody small enough that they could stuff up into the crawl spaces um, <laughs> to lay some conduit, um, so I started doing electrical work, and, uh, and that served me really well. Because all through, you know, I later left the commune and went to regular high school and college, and um, you know, I did I did continue doing electrical work all through um, that time in the summers. So,
0: that's pretty cool. I mean for my, my path was quite different. It was, you know, my, my family also broke up when I was seven years old or so. And I would spend time with my dad and, and I think it was specifically just because the same thing. We, we didn't have much that was, that was nice. Meaning if I wanted a dirt bike, you know, and I begged for one for years, when I finally got like one, it was broken, you Mm -hmm. know, or I should say the first one they gave us, we broke promptly and then had to fix. Right. Um, yeah, I have a twin brother and, uh, he would just kind of leave us to it. And when I said I wanted to know how an engine worked, because I did, he gave us a broken lawnmower engine. I'll never forget it and put it in the middle of the floor on the ground so we wouldn't hurt ourselves and said, here, take it apart mm-hmm. and fix it. And I'll tell you what's wrong with it. Meaning he helped us to diagnose why it was worn out and why it was no longer working. It was just a, you know, an old throwaway. Mm-hmm. And that fascination stayed. And I still think that I didn't understand... Like how an internal combustion engine worked for years later, even yeah. though he showed us, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Still was just this box of magic. But um, it it kind of, I guess it stays with you that satisfaction of having put it back together and having it work. Yeah, which isn't exactly an uncommon story. But
1: yeah, I guess you do have to get turned on to it by somebody who's willing to take that you know that half hour or, or you know half a day or a week or whatever it turns right. out to be to to get you started and in tinkering and pulling stuff apart and, and I and I guess it takes, you know, just a kind of a disposition of um being willing to fail and screw up and you know, see what you end up with.
2: Well so on that note, do you have any good failure stories
1: for us? Oh you know, God, it's mostly failure. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh you, yeah. just,
0: you just got to win a couple times And everybody counts that It's okay. Yeah well those are the
1: ones you publicize yeah. And the rest yeah. you kind of sweep yeah. how under How many the rug? books have you really read? <laughs> oh well yeah. many They will never see the light of day Um, Yeah well I mean they're I mean they're well yeah. <laughs> No
2: one wants I mean, to talk I, about I, don't know. <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot but yeah, It's I'm been the theme of our here. podcast so uh-huh. far is,
0: is, is how have you fucked up Yeah well there was one from, time
1: Yeah um, this is when I was working on um, bikes down in the basement of an apartment building in Chicago, <clears throat> and a friend of mine bought a Ninja 250. Mm. <clears throat> he bought it brand new, and for whatever reason, he wanted to do a valve adjustment on it. I'm like, dude, it doesn't need a valve adjustment. It's a brand new Japanese motorcycle. But um, so, but I I did a valve adjustment for him. Um. And I proceeded to drop a feeler gauge down the cam chain tunnel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like an opportunity to learn. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So I thought that I was completely fucked. um, And so was he. But I had, uh, you know, I had one of those long telescoping magnets on a stick. Yeah. And I I stuck it down there. And, of course, the problem is that a feeler gauge is stainless, right? Yeah. And a crankshaft is not. So, I, you know, I'd hear this kind of clunk as the magnet would hit the crank. And both – oh, by the way, I'm using a stethoscope. Yeah. And so – To hear it. Yeah, yeah, beca- yeah. I figured out that I needed a stethoscope, and it so happened um, that I had one. And um, so now I'm listening. I'm trying to guide the little magnet on a stick – away from the heavy clunk and see if there's that some other sound and sure enough there's this very faint little t- t- yeah. and <laughs> so it turns out there's enough whatever magnetism ferrous material in a stainless feeler gauge that it will barely pick up with a magnet and go. so after like two hours of, of this you know just coming up like a, a millimeter at a time so it doesn't hit the right. chain tunnel and there it is. I grab it with my fingers. And it's a feeling of having cheated death. You know? <laughs> um, I have
0: so many of those that I can't possibly even bring – not one stands out. Like so yeah. many things that I've done that were like that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't – you know, usually it doesn't end that well, right? I mean this is one where it ended well. But Normally it's a pull in the motor apart. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's always this feeling of – catastrophe as hovering right over your shoulder you know yeah that's
3: one of those things that i've run into several times there have been lots of bikes where you get to try and dig something out of the out of the cam tunnel and and hopes crossed fingers that you don't have to do a full engine
0: rebuild i've never taken an engine apart uh where i didn't think about halfway through it this will never go together again this will never run again what the hell was I? What thinking? the worst is when
1: you find some little um, like dowel pin that you know was supposed have to go somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you put it back together, but I, I always think I'm going to have to go
0: to someone else, and they're going to to bail me out, and I really screwed this up. And I always figure it out. It's I mm-hmm. I, I like so, some people when they ask me and they're not mechanical, they they say, "How do you know how to do that?" Or you know, "How do I <laughs> learn how to do this?" Blah blah blah. And I always say the same thing, which is it's it's sheer hard-headedness it is absolute determination to not give up even if it takes me 300 hours to figure out this new thing right as long as you're hard-headed to find the solution in this puzzle you will it's not that difficult yeah. you'll screw up 3 4 times but you'll get and it.
3: that's what it is like all these machines and that's how you learn it's it's just a puzzle and it's a three-dimensional puzzle and if you look at all the parts and pieces there's little Indications on everything that tells you how it's supposed to go back together. Even if you don't have a manual, you can look at it and see, oh, there's Mm -hmm. this wear line right here that's from this washer that's supposed to be right here. And you can see the different witnesses, like, oh, this bolt head matches the rust marks on this washer. Different witnesses.
1: I like that. It's true. So you
3: can kind of figure out how it all goes back together. The thing that I find most fascinating is that in the cases when I was first rebuilding things, I was shocked at how many extra parts you could have at the end, and it would still function. It yeah. would <laughs> still run just fine. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. the first engine I rebuilt, I ended the up stupid having... stupid Japanese, what were
1: they thinking about yeah. these extra parts? Yeah, you didn't, you didn't need <laughs> half
3: of these things, and I've got this little tin cup full of bolts, bolts and nuts <laughs> and washers and, you know, Spacers. As as I used the, the rule of thumb that if the part wasn't very heavy, it couldn't be very important, <laughs> and...
0: <laughs> that worked out really well. Yeah. You just weigh it. You weigh it, be like,
1: oh no, we're within three ounces of uh spec yeah. here. We got this close yeah. enough. Yeah. And plus, you know, you're you're actually um you're lightening the motorcycle. Yeah, it's true. a performance advantage That's it's right. faster. Yeah. Who needs carbon fiber when you got extra parts? <laughs>
3: oh, there's so many of those. Yeah. Just... Well we don't do it like that anymore. All the parts go back in the engines these days. Oh there you go. There's a disclaimer. <laughs> Revival yeah. cycles yeah. yeah. does <laughs> not endorse this message. <laughs> we're, we're professionals <laughs>
1: to run this past your lawyers well so i was
0: gonna ask i remember you know it has been i read it twice your book uh, shop classes soul craft and it's been seven years since i since then but i do there are a few things that stick out which is kind of interesting that there are moments that even stick out at all other than just how it generally made me feel but i remember you, you mentioned a while ago uh, electrician work mm-hmm and and I remember you talking about it being satisfying and you having pride in doing it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, there's you know, at the end of the job, uh, there comes this moment where you flip the switch and the oh, lights yeah. actually come on. Yeah. And it's like this just so you know, satisfying look, you know. I don't have to say anything, just look. <laughs> um so you know, it's an experience of being competent at something. But I can remember you talking about, I think, and I could be projecting, conduit. Yeah. Or
0: in it lining up. And yeah.
1: Yeah, so, right. I mean, m- most of my uh, work got covered up inside of walls because it was right. residential okay. stuff. Okay, all right. But, you know, I I remember seeing, like, a big gang of conduit running into a, a panel, you know, in some commercial setting. Or, mm-hmm. and And... Yeah, you know, so you've got all these nestled curves, mm-hmm. you know, flowing and somehow all terminating in the same plane. Mm-hmm. And this was a skill that was so far beyond my abilities that I felt like I was in the presence of some genius, you know. And that whoever bent that conduit probably imagined this moment of recognition as he was doing it. You know, that someone would come along, <coughs> excuse me, at some point and recognize it for what it is, you know, a work of art, I think. The Michelangelo of conduit yeah. shaping, I mean, it's, it's not easy. So yeah. even it's, it's, it, yeah. it, that's something that
3: I I mean, I think about a fair amount and it's like y- you're always driving to do something to the best of your ability. And that guy who was doing that install for that conduit, I mean, there's literal infinity number of possible <clears throat> solutions to that problem and how you route it, where the bends are, all these things. But this was the one solution that he chose and yeah. this was the thing that most represented his current ability to achieve perfection like he was trying to do this as well as he could and this is the limit of what he could do at that i guess time. the
1: pressure of the time clock and
3: yeah you know, i mean you gotta you, know. you gotta have some limits i mean no. you're mm-hmm. doing a job but still like when you see somebody that's really um like a journeyman craftsman and they can execute a project like that it's i know exactly what you're talking about yeah. because it's what we all strive for it's, yeah in it's all like of our a work
1: glimpse of of like i mean this is going to sound way too highfalutin but a glimpse of like You know this really high human possibility that we're all kind of striving for in different ways and there's just so much kind of shoddy shittiness Mm -hmm. in the world and 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 often these you know these instances of, of real excellence they're so unobtrusive you know they don't draw attention to themselves you have to you have to notice them and it's just beautiful to you know find these things in unexpected places I think it's in. And it's
0: yours, right? You have this ownership of it. Like though, I'm sure there are things on bikes that that we have done that only Stefan will ever notice. We're imperfect, you know. Even though the rest of us have a critical eye, and I might notice a few of the things, but there are things that only he will go. Oh no, no, that was so so crappy. I will look right past it. Yeah. But his sense of pride and what he did, you know, whether it's there or not.
1: Well, it's those imperfections that that torment you right because you're there, you spent a fair bit of time trying to not to trying to make it otherwise right. and right. you at some point said i gotta move compromise on. Yep. but compromise. it sticks in your head
0: absolutely oh, yeah. getting him to compromise oh <laughs> man oh
3: but also that that um that imperfection is also something that i think is interesting to think about and um that's what makes it a hand-built machine—that's what makes it unique. Mm-hmm. The—if mm-hmm. you wanted something perfect, you just go buy a Honda. Right. And if you want something that's got a little bit more soul in it, and machinery, in my opinion, absolutely has a soul, and kind of crafting that soul to be what you want is—is is a real trick. Yeah. And it, I think it is the imperfections that that really give a machine its character and let it become a living thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Otherwise, it's so if it's so kind of smooth and frictionless that it doesn't it's like it it doesn't have a surface that's kind of I not I'm getting metaphorical now textured enough for any kind of memories to attach to it just like it's something that you live with and you its quirks, yeah.
3: Almost like the difference between um, like a, a true vintage machine that's still in original condition versus a vintage machine that's been restored. You know, the one that in, a, in original condition still has all the blemishes of its life. It's got the entire timeline of its mm. history. Every scratch, every dent means yeah. something. It came from somewhere. Yeah. Um, it's like layers of time in the th- in yeah. the thing. It's like kind of archaeologically, you could kind of dig down and see what has happened through through yeah. that whole history the rings of a tree if you, if you think yeah. about it that way nice. when
0: i when i rode the rough superior i rode a rough superior um in the cannonball across the country um with our, a friend of ours paul and a good portion of the time that i was on that trip in silence or whatever with my headphones and riding i was thinking about god i wish i could see the guy that has ridden on this bike's what is it uh, 80 years old i would love to see the who had this bike and where yeah. he rode this bike and where it's been, and yeah. the times he broke down and what he did to fix it. I want to see all of that. And it still wears its patina so you can mm-hmm. feel that it's there. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that two years after we returned it to its owner, that he could go outside and for the very first time since we gave it back to him, kick it, and it started on the very first kick. And I know why. It's because of the sorting that we did while riding it for, for mm-hmm. you know two and a half weeks straight. That it's ready to go. The history of what we did still lives on in that bike, and I like that part. I don't know. And nice.
3: speaking about bikes that some guys ridden, I'm I'm still interested to know which which is your favorite bike from your you know your personal
1: collection. <laughs> you guys are gonna be really disappointed. Ninja uh, 250. <laughs> <laughs> well, not far, not far. My daily uh, driver is a. Uh, uh, klr 650 oh my Uh, god you've just yes troll (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: you might as well been like describing his girlfriend or something right like that's uh, the klr 650
3: is how i met my girlfriend uh um i had one and turns out that she actually had one too so then Mm -hmm. we had something to talk about i would beg to differ it was revival (laughs) it was here sure but it's
0: our first weekend open wasn't it
3: uh yeah it was kind of open for uh, just a tour but she came in and started talking and so said she had a KLR 650. I was like, "You got to be kidding me! I've got a KLR 650."
0: You know, and <laughs> no one has a KLR 650. <laughs> yeah, no, it's no, so a rare. rare yeah. yeah, no, no
1: sane person has one. <laughs> yeah, well, I have the rare 09. Ooh, yeah, yeah that, those
0: were limited edition, right? <laughs> has it numbered? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it's number one million three hundred two thousand. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, that's a so, pretty so, sexy machine. So, what is it about the KLR that you really like? It's cheap it's comfortable
0: waiting for you to say utilitarian
1: well it is that and it does you know it kind of does everything okay um sexy <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a there's a vibration between my legs <laughs> the they call sound. it sound they call it a thumper yeah oh god um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah and then in. you know there's a world of aftermarket you can do whatever you want and, um so I'm I'm actually ready to. It's actually on Craigslist right now. I have to confess. It's it's got about twenty five thousand miles on yeah, it. Go for the full plug. I mean, this is going to get some good. Yeah. Visibility. So it's yeah, How a much? What's your phone number? <laughs> yeah. Um. It's got about thirty five hundred dollars in extras. So I kind of. Wow. That's the thing. You could have bought
0: two more KLRs for that. We like to call those Farkles.
1: Farkles. Huh? Yeah. yeah. It's got all the goodies. <laughs> $4,000 firm.
0: Oof. Man, it must be a nice one. That sounds like a yeah. deal. It must be really... It sounds like I a good deal. I
1: say firm, not very firmly. <laughs> <laughs> so now, the 09 the was the... That was the... The, updated, the 08 is when
3: they updated it. Right.
0: Well, know. I don't even know.
3: What, so what do you mean? You it. guys it not even hip to it,
0: has, the... it. has disc brakes? Is that what you're going to tell me? <laughs> no. It's, Hydraulic it, clutch?
3: It's almost the exact same bike, but with fancy plastics. It looks way more like a KTM than the Wait, old one. it's
0: still carbureted, right? Yes, it is. That's hysterical. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. I just assumed... That, so they but still don't have a fuel-injected KLR. When, when you're in the no. middle no. of no. the
3: Amazon rainforest yeah. and your fuel yeah. injection goes out, would you rather have... Fuel injection or a carburetor? When you
0: have to tow a (laughs) CX500 from Guatemala to San Antonio with a bungee cord, you really need that
1: carburetor. Okay, you guys need to stop everything and tell that story right now. I I think we've already
2: told that one, unfortunately.
1: Have we actually told that one on the podcast?
3: I
0: don't think so. It doesn't matter.
3: Tell it. Sure um so this is that's, this is my this is can, my klr it's you like, can as long as we're gonna do like a klr bro out right now okay, then um you can even back up and yours? say
0: this is the reason we know each other yeah, truth, frankly the, my klr
3: know? is is absolutely part of the, the story of how i even met alan and then how i met andy and how all of this has revival started yeah um so mine is uh, the first year of the 650, the 1987. Um, oh,
0: best and year. Such a vintage. Oh, man.
3: I bought mine for uh, $750, and it was in Queens, New York at the time. And so after I bought it on, I think, eBay or maybe Craigslist, I can't remember, um, my friends, uh, Jonah and Nate, we all jumped in my Mazda Protege 5 and drove to New York straight through 24 hours, got there at like 3 in the morning, partied like rock stars for that day, And then the day after that, met up with this really nice couple that were in their, I don't know, I would guess probably late 60s, were maybe they, 70s. Were they swingers? No, no. These guys were... Um, I was actually buying the bike from their son, but he lived in oh, he Europe, a Europe somewhere.
1: <laughs> I thought there had to be a point to the story as I was trying to help you out. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: We are telling a story, aren't we? So buy this piece of shit bike, which is an absolute piece of shit. So we drive down to Guatemala, and at some point... Uh, we go through this huge river crossing in a in a rainforest, and the CX500 says, this is enough. You've abused me for the last time, and my stator is now going to short circuit completely because it's full of water. And we tried what we could to fix the bike. We sent one of our riders ahead back to get a pickup truck in the United States, then to drive back down to pick us up and then to bring us home. And realizing that that was going to take forever and there was only a limited possibility that the pickup truck, which was also acquired for free, was going to be able to make the drive back down to Guatemala, we decided to take our fate into our own hands and try to drive ourselves home by towing the CX500 with the KLR using a piece of nylon webbing and a bungee cord to make a makeshift tow strap. And as it turns out, we were pretty effective and managed to cover the length of Mexico from the Guatemala border to San Antonio in three days, which is about 1,200 miles Averaging over 300 miles a day, cruising at well over 60 miles an hour with one running motorcycle. This
0: whole thing, you have to understand, like, I had met him, what, like, a month or two prior to that. His aunt calls me, who's a good friend of mine, and says, look, um, my nephew and his friends are on a motorcycle trip. They're coming through Austin. I want them to see the Jag. I have a Jaguar E-type that I inherited from his family, right, this random thing. And I said, no no fucking way (laughs) (laughs) because when she, she's from the Midwest and when she said this about her family, I assume what was going to happen was that there was this, forgive anybody that is this, but uh, there's some fat guy on a Harley from the Midwest who was coming through Austin and and they want me to take him out to wild wings. Yeah. Wild wings or a strip joint or something, right? (laughs) This is what I'm supposed to do. But instead, you know, I reluctantly agree. He shows up, I'm pretty sure with a mohawk and a beard, and the other two guys are just as, as kind of dirty-looking on free to $700. Remote. The most expensive bike of the three was 700 bucks. this KLR. And we immediately hit it off. So I'm in my job uh, in a cube, you know, working for a software company. Um, I have eight motorcycles. I have an air-cooled Porsche. I, I have all this stuff that I'm buying to kind of keep this mechanical part of me hmm. and satisfied. And these guys come through, he's a mechanical engineer and he's going out and living his life and going to Tierra del Fuego on, on, when I say budget, like not much of a budget on pretty much nothing. And I'm completely envious. I'm, I'm not just envious. It kind of tore me up. It kind of tore my life, what I had created, my reality. It kind of tore it up to see this. And so they have a blog that they would update every few weeks. And every day I'm clicking refresh, waiting for this stupid blog. I wish we had screenshots of that blogger. Oh,
3: actually, I still have the whole Be- thing
0: because it looks like the '80s. This blog—it's so bad. But um, <laughs> there were a lot of blogs in the '80s. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, actually, really bad. And um, and it just stops suddenly. It hasn't been updated in a month, and I'm starting to get a little worried, but also like really bummed because I don't get to see this BS that they're doing. And and then I get a phone call in my office one day. From his aunt and says listen uh stefan is in san antonio and needs you to come pick him up and i was like oh no he's not i've, I've seen the blog they're in guatemala they're not they're not in san antonio no 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 he's in san antonio on the side of uh, i-10 I- or sorry on the side of i-35 you need to go get him and so i leave my corporate job in the middle of the day on a friday go get in my pickup truck and drive to san antonio and it's you know an hour and a half i get there Right about the time the sun's going down. And these two dudes have not showered in weeks. By the way, there were three. Now there's just two. They haven't showered in weeks. I haven't talked to them at all, so I have no idea what's going on. They smell like puke and vomit.
3: literally spent the entire day in baking in the sun in the gas station parking lot. Parking lot.
0: And they're... Yeah. And that was probably the end of the two weeks, right? Yeah. That's the end of the two weeks. And they smell like vomit and look like vomit. and And... Are smiling and I'm like what are you did you ever even leave Texas was this whole thing faked what is going on so for an hour and a half on the way home they regale me with this story sorry Stefan you can you can oh, pick you, it up again. You're, you're on point yeah, That's, yeah. And, and, and you know things had gone wrong right like somehow this all made sense to them Their reality had become sure it makes sense to tow a worthless motorcycle across an entire country uh, and and get down a freeway and to save this thing. I don't even... I never even... I still don't understand it. The The whole reason that we towed it back was just...
3: Honestly, I think it was just kind of no man left behind and we'd already had so many experiences with this machine that... And he still has the bike to this day. I don't think it is currently running, but... It, Big surprise there. <laughs> yeah. It oh. is in his garage. Um, but we just couldn't leave it behind. It It yeah. had a story. It was part of our team and it was coming home.
0: So then they... Spend two or three weeks in Austin before heading back to, to Minnesota. I think you were you know you were waiting for, for Nate to come back, to pick you up, and then gave up on that because he had a girlfriend and he couldn't make it back or whatever. No, it
3: wasn't even that. I think we were just having fun hanging out in Austin. I mean, smoking pot and fixing motorcycles for me.
1: Pretty much. Yeah.
2: You yeah. have a you have a similar story that involves a, a Suzu
1: Suzuki don't you, Matthew? Oh uh, <clears throat> yeah. Before we were taping, I was. Telling uh these guys just you know trying to get an eighty four Isuzu trooper from Chicago to uh California and it was burning about uh a quart of oil every hundred miles.
0: When was this? In the eighties?
1: No, this would have <laughs> been um this would have been mid to late nineties. Why were you doing this? To get to California. <laughs> but it sounds like one you should have left in Chicago. That's well, it funny. wasn't burning that much oil when I left Chicago. It's funny how uh, that happens. Yeah, and I remember trying to um in an, in the parking lot of a motel um replacing the oil pump um which <laughs> turned out not to be the the problem, which in retrospect how could it have been i was going to say it was burning oil <laughs> yeah. yeah well it was oil it was oil disappearing somehow but in any case yeah um so it just load up with a, a case of oil and a case of beer and and take off through the desert and uh, there was this forest fire um happening and so the whole sky was it was this like sunset and it's orange and i um, just flat out through the desert um, there's some awesome hair metal on the radio and it was just one of those moments where everything comes together and you're just, um, you know, pounding beers and just throw them in the back cause you're out in the middle of nowhere and, um, yeah, pull over every hundred miles and pour some oil in and we made it. And, it made and
0: sense.
3: That, that's yeah. the thing that always gets me about those kinds of experiences is like, um, no one ever tells a story about how, how they, you know got in their car, it started, it ran perfectly, they went to work, they went home. (laughs) Like that's not anything that matters, and yeah. that's the correct choice. That that's the uh, the rational. And that's decision. the responsible right? thing. Yeah. Well, so all of the great things that happen, all the great stories that come, come from a bad decision. The first thing you have to do is make a bad yeah. decision. Then the then the fun starts. <laughs> then the good story part. Well, I happens. think
1: you know when you're when you drive an old car or bike or whatever it is, you're kind of opening yourself to just contingency, right? Well, let see how things go. You you're kind of just throwing yourself out into the world.
3: But instead of you know getting frustrated that you know your your car is in the process of breaking down perpetually on your drive from chicago to california it's like in this state of constant decline and you're just trying to get through it the responsible thing to do is stop and repair it and fix it but instead you make a bad decision keep going and then you end up with this experience that actually stays with you and this is years Mm -hmm. ago and now this is years forward and you're still telling that story because it meant something and and it gives you an experience And that that experience kind of to come back even to my experience with the book that you wrote is that came out just shortly after I got back from my trip in Central America. Mm -hmm. And part of that trip was making a realization for myself that there's a lot of people out there that talk about doing something and a lot of people out there that dream about doing something. And there aren't really that many people that actually do it and actually stop
0: Uh and choose to do it. Now you're taking Jay Leno's words. That's exactly what he said sitting here
1: a few months ago. <laughs> and it's. I'm oh, wisdom, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Everyone.
3: It's still one of those things that's, that stands out to me is yeah. like that moment when you realize, like, am I going to just keep dreaming about this or am I going to actually do it? Yeah. And it's that process of, of actually doing something that yeah. stuck with me. And so even coming into reading, reading your book about how um, actually. Producing something with your hands, working with your hands, having this sort of departure from what the accepted norm is or what the standard or what the uh, responsible thing would, would be by societal standards was absolutely perfect timing and really continued to crystallize something that was was um, running around in my head. Mm. So I've been a huge fan ever yeah, since.
1: Well, I'm glad it uh, resonated with you. And, and yeah, you know, you were just talking about, um, you know, Bad decisions, and you and sort of life unfolds from uh, from a series of these. At least the interesting stuff that sticks with you, and I'm and I'm thinking uh, about you know self-driving cars that uh, we're, we're being told are going to come and say, so well, we're going to have this. Uh, they're calling it the urban operating system, right? The sort of grid of uh, um, self-driving cars. It reminds me of that scene from. Have you ever seen the movie Wall-E? The animated film? No, not that one. No. Okay, Sorry. well, maybe some of your listeners have. There's a, So there's a scene of these um, sort of blob-like people being ferried around in this hovering grid yeah. in these pod-like cars, and they've got these enormous um, cup holders, you know, with their Slurpees in them and a screen in front of them to keep them entertained. And it's just this, this picture of, like, Automotive dystopia, because um, yeah. they've got this sort of slack look on their faces of this opiate pleasure of the entertainments they're just passively consuming, and it's so that to me sort of crystallizes the the future that's being prepared for us. Sort well, of sounds like you just described uh, what is it, Mopac during rush hour? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, oh <laughs> well, I think I think the scene works because it it's you know we kind of recognize ourselves in it already. The
0: well, and, and what I thought you were going to do, so this literally happened the other night when you were giving your lecture. I had some friends over we, we watched the debate on the big screen at the house, and right after, I was so in the mode that we had to watch Idiocracy. Have you seen that? I've heard of it. I've not seen it. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm going to help you out. I'll, 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 we'll get you a copy. <laughs> you must see this movie. Because it's on that, it actually has some of the similar stuff where people literally, they sit in a huge recliner that has a toilet built in. <laughs> and the snacks are piled up and they don't even bother with eating, like with dipping something into cheese sauce. They just put their hands into <laughs> cheese sauce and eat the cheese sauce while they're watching yeah. the TV show. That is just yeah. about people getting kicked in the balls. That's the whole TV show. Uh, you know, like it, it, where things are headed. It's like he was, he was essentially, uh, projecting or or, 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 predicting the future. And then the president comes in and without getting too politico, he's a, a political, he's a, um, uh, wrestling champion was it President Camacho and and everyone uh-huh. just communicates through a series of grunts with how awesome this president is uh, because he just makes a bunch of empty promises of what he's gonna do and it's yeah. it's incredible the whole dystopia <laughs> certainly applies anyway
1: yeah it was, sounds like it's, it serves pretty well as a sort of uh, campaign roadmap
0: it's exactly right. You know, it's how we set it up I think. Tea. So it's we like, could talk
1: about two movies none of us have ever seen, but I was going to
0: get back to the really maybe you're sick of talking about it about your book and what it did because it was 7 years ago that book, but it can't be understated for me personally or or for us. Yeah. In in wanting to not only take what you wrote and 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 kind of the ideas that you put together in ways that I needed someone to put them together for me at the time. We're really wanting to continue that and, and to continue to push that. And, you know, I went home last night after you'd been here to visit yesterday and, and, and it was pretty cool to see that you liked what we were doing. I oh mean, my that God. sounds really you, funny. No, but I mean,
1: you guys are, you're taking it to another level. Well, yeah. we didn't,
0: I, I never imagined that I was going to meet you or talk to you about anything. That's for damn sure. It was not like we were like, ah, we got to impress Matt when he shows up, um, <laughs> it was more like, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. This kind of sparked this obsession that we had. But w- more than that, what we've decided, you know, there's a, there's ways to encourage culture. And what we've seen in specifically motorcycle culture or any kind of motorsports sports culture, there's typically just the appreciation of the machine and how it works and if you've got the most toys. Hmm. But what we'd like to encourage is for everyone to have the same appreciation for their ninja 250 that some millionaire has for his vintage ferrari or whatever it is right and to do that what 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 i feel that we're doing with with uh beardy troll stefan here and the videos and all of the things that we're doing is to try to inspire people that have completely intimidated by mechanics or working with their hands or building something to give it a shot mm-hmm. to just mm-hmm. try and Maybe over the years, we eventually have have a real way to do that at this point. I feel like we haven't even touched the surface of what we could do. But if your book could inspire us to decide to shuck all the social norms of corporate, you say dystopia earlier, but that's really what I experienced working in a cube. Mm -hmm. To shuck that, be broke, and try to do this, then maybe, just maybe, we can have some effect on those that hadn't considered that part of themselves to try it. Like there's I know it's a big thing. It's like I'm talking no, about changing I mean, the world it's, but
1: Um You know, I, sometimes I get email from people who say, Oh, you know, your book inspired me. I'm I'm gonna quit my job and, you know, do X and I always Oh, God. God, no, don't, don't. <laughs> You're going to end up starving. I don't, it's like, I, no, I didn't mean it. <laughs> just because I don't want to be responsible. Um, but then, you know, there's stories like yours that are just so gratifying and uh, inspiring to, to to me to hear, you know, that, yeah, I guess I, I maybe I was onto something. And I'm, I'm totally. glad that somebody, you know, put, put it to good use or, you know, just gave you maybe a little bit of... Uh, you know, courage at a moment when you know it helped.
0: That's totally what it was. It was honestly, I'm standing on the edge of this cliff, yeah. and having a hard time and still not really committing. And maybe I'm even hanging off the cliff, right? It sounds like you were pretty ready to jump. <laughs> <laughs> like, there was, yeah. But but then suddenly you read this and you're like, "Fuck it, I can do it." Mm-hmm. You know, I can figure this out. And I'm not going to be happy, no matter how much money I make working for this corporate behemoth or mm-hmm. just. Uh, essentially selling this intangible uh, thing for someone else. I'm never, ever, ever going to really get the satisfaction I need from that. So I don't know, man. I, I quickly built a shipping container studio. I bought a welder, built a shipping container studio at home while I was kind of working on bikes and waiting and hoping on stuff and showing up here. And every day was so much better than the day before because I was accepting this part mm. of myself. So I don't know. It's it, it is it's way deeper than what I'm saying. I, I'm it sounds like I'm being deep, but I'm not. It's it was a big deal for me. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, thank you. It was. I'm not trying to finish the conversation. It was just I really wanted to talk about that part. So so I want to talk about bad
2: choices. He just want, he just wants to get back to mistakes. Yeah. Well, no, no. 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 I right.
1: made one this morning, but you want you want to go ahead. Well,
2: I was going to say, you know, speaking of bad choices, we've got a couple of uh, air cooled car lovers in the room, and uh-huh. we know that you also love air cooled cars. Yeah. Uh-huh. Can you talk about where that comes from? <laughs> Andy was waiting
1: for the Volkswagen talk. Yeah. So you've got for- a
2: Volkswagen problem.
1: Um, that you could you could call it a problem. Um. I have a Volkswagen. Yeah. It's a, well, it's titled as a 76. It's a bug, but it's got a hodgepodge of pre 68 sheet metal. Um, and so, yeah, I've been cutting out basically the whole bottom 12 inches of the car was just rust. Um, so I've been cutting it out and, uh, you know fabricating new pieces and welding them in i basically i picked the worst possible project car to start with sounds like it there's yeah a lot of, you, you know, Volkswagens out there yeah if, if it was a guy i knew was selling it and i fell victim to wishful thinking i didn't pull up the carpet and really look at things and but then i didn't make there's this you know there's this uh phenomena where you you have sunk costs in something and you're, you're not, and therefore you think it's more valuable to you when even though it's still the case that you should just get rid of it and start. I'm
0: looking at Stefan because yeah, I know just, Andy and I both yeah. are going, Stefan, yeah. Stefan.
2: Yeah. Just leave the CX in I, Mexico. I think we've all fallen into that trap at least yeah. once or twice. But it is.
1: You feel loyal to something once you've put enough hours into it, even though rationally, you still really should just get rid of it. Like marriage. It's a lot like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, wait, I was waiting
0: for someone to say that. I mean, I'm married happily, I, but I have to mention, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So you, you feel there's some sunk cost there. Not just devotion and love,
1: but, you know, I got a
0: lot of time in this. I'm not just going to – yeah. Go
1: get another one. I don't think we want to pursue this analogy too far, <laughs> at least on air. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good thing. Um, My wife will never listen to this. But but, but our our wives know that we're loyal because we just said so, so that's good. That's true. Um, you don't just give up on something because it's difficult. <laughs> difficult and rusty yeah. <laughs> and <Yeah>. crumbling. <laughs> um, okay. So, anyway, moving so, on. Yeah. Well, yeah talking yeah. about um yeah so anyway this all this is just preparing the canvas the uh the work of art is going to be the motor i'm building for this thing well i'm building in my head because i i i've disciplined myself to not start buying parts until i'm done with the, the unpleasant part of, of getting rid of the rust um but um so this is your hobby you're just doing yeah, your this. yeah this is just is for me and um Well, I started. You know, my first car was a '63 Bug, and I've, and then I worked at a Porsche shop for a little while when I was 15, Um, and and then I, as I relate in the book, you know, I I got into sort of hot rodding VWs in high school. But now I'm gonna do it right, and um, it's gonna have you know four to five times the horsepower it started with. So I have like a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so really what depending I depending on whether I put the lawnmower engine yeah, in the front <laughs> right. we were talking about. So so really what I want to know is why Volkswagens though? Well, you know, why why anything? You 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 develop some fetish at a young age and uh there's no explaining it unless you you know, maybe years of analysis on the couch or something. But
0: <laughs> gets, um it could just as well be a Corvair or a Fiat or an MG or yeah. Some other I think it's your you
1: know your first car yeah. is special, you know. and but they are. They, I mean, it's a brilliant design. The, the further I get into it, I realize they knew what they were Those doing. Nazis knew
0: what they were doing. Fucking a. Yeah, well, they
1: got quite a ways on Doctor Ferdinand Porsche. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: This will make me sound old, but I often get really frustrated at, with people's lack of pride in what they're doing whether it's selling something intangible and having a phone conversation and closing the loop on that or learning how to use your tools correctly or putting them away or going that one extra percentile further to get it to a hundred percent rather than stopping at 99 almost there almost there and it's hard to not lose it on someone with the expectations that you have of them and they're not hitting it and You see it as so very, very simple just to finish what you started, whether it's using a tool or making a motorcycle. I don't know. Anyway. You
1: sound like a tough boss.
0: I don't even like either one of those words you just used. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Expectant. Yeah, I don't like the word boss, and I sure as hell don't like the word tough. Mm. I I feel more like just I expect great things, because why would you bother doing it if you weren't going to try to do it greatly? I screw up more than anybody here, there's no doubt. I forget more, I I mismanage my calendar, I do all sorts of things that are are bad.
2: Honestly, I can say that's the commonality between Alan and Stefan and I, is that we all have high expectations for ourselves and the people around us. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's the definition of insanity, is doing the same thing you always have done and expect something different, right? I know that, but... But every time I go to do something, I still expect myself, I still expect that I'm going to do this as well as I can possibly do it yeah. and not just stop short. I'm
1: actually interested in this. So I think uh, all you guys have a kind of uh, perfectionist, kind of driven, you know, like everything you just said. And how do you um, how do you reconcile that with, I mean, running a business, there's so many compromises that you have to make just to you know, make everything
3: I think I think that reconciliation work. comes in the fact that in general we just don't make very much money. <laughs> <laughs> we compromise <laughs> most in pay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um,
1: right. That's usually how it comes out. Well
0: I'm actually not, you know, yeah, I have a degree in finance and, and was managing people's money at one point in my life. <laughs> And Uh, then you betrayed your whole education. Well, I'm not driven by money. I'm not. I I like what money can do for me. I like having a nice bottle of scotch or some great sushi or whatever. But I don't think about commas adding up in my bank account. I think about what a next team member we can add or the next tool we can buy. So for you,
1: it sounds like the main satisfaction is just intrinsic to the work itself. Mm -hmm. It's not the work as a means to some other thing that you're going to it with money it's no
0: and i try to mm -hmm. think that way especially when it comes to have conversations with my my wife about Mm -hmm. what our future will be you know Mm -hmm. all right well you know if i set this goal then we can do that or i can make this much money or whatever and there is an end to all this trying and all this pushing Mm -hmm. but no it's more about for me my instinct is just to stand back and look at something we did whether it's a podcast or a motorcycle or a Mm -hmm piece of furniture we built that to go wow that's as good as we could have done it for the day
1: and so how do you uh is it um i mean you're managing what you have 18 people here right yeah 17 or 18 i can't remember today but yeah so um do you have to try to instill that same mentality in everyone or does it come naturally or i want someone else to answer that question i don't think you
3: can really <laughs> yeah. instill that right. you can kind of cultivate it if there's a little seed of it in somebody mm-hmm. you can't create it from nothing that's true and yeah i think it has to be there uh, already and what our experience has been is that if that seed is there and someone wants it to grow we can definitely help them grow it mm-hmm. and if that seed is not there or they don't want to grow it They aren't
0: here anymore. You know, one of the biggest lessons learned, a, is don't do a podcast near an airport. Um, One of the biggest lessons learned is, I tend to project onto other people what I want to see in them, or necessarily see in myself. Maybe right, like a lot of people do. But we, as a group, you know, we want to believe that everyone's great and everyone has the same "go to the ends of the earth" attitude, and are looking for something to really put their energy into and that's not true Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people and this is where i said i sound old that that is not their mo man they Mm -hmm. they do not give a damn about going home and and putting their head on the pillow thinking man i did everything i could to do it badass today Mm -hmm. they're thinking about what they're going to get out of it what is what is in it for me whether it's recognition or money or whatever that's their main goal and i don't think when i find myself getting into that own, my that trap myself where i'm thinking i will get recognition mm-hmm. i realize that there's way more satisfaction in mm-hmm. someone else getting recognition for this thing that you helped them to do that's that's way more satisfying and i mm-hmm. i almost feel like i'm just saying that i don't feel it but it's totally true like it's it's great to assist and just be involved and see someone else exceed their own expectations prior to that right that's way more satisfying.
1: Mm. So you got sort of a, a mentor role here, then. It sounds like the way you see it. I think if you're doing the
0: quote-unquote boss thing, you're really not being their boss. If you're being their boss, then they're not the right guy. <laughs> uh, if 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 you're helping foster their own personal growth, and it's going to benefit you, it's going to benefit the group, and sure as hell, it's going to benefit the company. Mm. So yeah.
1: It has to be everything you said reminds me so in that I read this second book, the world beyond your head and the the whole last section of it is a is a long case study of um an organ maker's shop, so they make pipe organs, baroque pipe organs and um and just the culture of the shop was really interesting to me, and part of it was how um you know how that sort of culture of, of excellence, if you want to call it that gets kind of propagated Mm -hmm. and it's and it's partly it's these overlapping lineages of apprenticeship where there's you know a number of different shops and they all kind of it's a real community
2: um so you kind of started to talk a little bit you know with the the organ shop but what 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 inspires you matthew like what are you interested in
3: um, other than Volkswagen Beetles. Well, well
2: obviously. Now, yeah. that tell makes it tell us about you, to... Mr. Coffin. I, I know that's a pretty open-ended question, but.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, lots of stuff, but um, I've realized that, um, again, this might, <laughs> might be a bit heretical, but uh, I don't really care that much what motorcycles look like, but I love riding them, and the riding has become more uh, and more important to me over the years. So you're. Persig. <laughs> it's all about lot. the ride. And oh, it.
0: is
3: that what he says? <laughs> so, no. so, but what, what type of riding, or what is it about yeah, the just, riding?
1: I just, I just love just the physicality of it, and I, I love when there's traffic, and maybe the traffic is going fast, and it starts to feel a little bit like war. And being on a bike, I feel like I'm just much better armed than yeah. everyone else. I mean, you're more vulnerable, obviously, but just like you're also better armed. And so much more
3: nimble. You've got so yeah. many more options. And you can... I love splitting
1: lanes. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I just love it. You feel like you're getting over on everybody. And they hate it. They want to kill you. Um, and you I live ju- in California? No. No. It's, no, it's not legal. <laughs> Where do you live? I live in Virginia.
0: Virginia, okay. Yeah. So Keep going. I mean, so
1: and so, you know, one thing, one moment that I love, um, I don't do it all the time, just occasionally when it's really the traffic is jammed up, but there'll be some Harley rider there, um, sweating his balls off, um, you know. There's a full like in in traffic, yeah. just just sweltering there idling, and there's a full yard and a half. Of inviting space between lanes, and he's sitting there. and He's got the word "freedom" across the you know like on his <laughs> vest, right? And to just just blow past that guy on your on your uncool KLR like, and <laughs> splitting lanes that that feels it feels like a like a a little um, I don't know. <laughs> it's a little statement. Absolutely, um, yeah. Love, it's, a, yeah. It, it's like the because uh, the guy's whole self imi- image is about freedom right and and there he is just trapped trapped totally totally trapped, trapped. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know it's not explicitly illegal in texas so we do oh, it we do it as well really? um in fact i've never been pulled over for anything like that
3: I've yeah i don't
1: worry time. so much about law enforcement as the murderous rage that it induces yeah, yeah I've, common, common. I've
3: actually had someone attempt to hit me to yeah. like completely deliberately try to hit me and it's it's incredible they're not thinking that oh there's another human here it's just they've gone into such a rage that they don't even know what's happening my
2: my personal favorite f-350 good old boy rolls down the window
0: it's always white yeah Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) yeah good old boy rolls down the window hey boy you're not in california no more
1: you had someone do that? I
2: had literally had someone yell that out the window at me.
1: I was splitting lanes in Austin, actually, uh, when I was here. I rented it. Was actually, it was a KLR. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, once once you've found you know the perfect motorcycle, there's really nowhere else to go. I can't
0: <laughs> wait to give you a KLR later to
3: ride. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> actually, yeah. no. I'm ready to move on. Thirty five horsepower isn't quite doing it for me anymore. Yeah, it's kind of wise. But
0: you were splitting up. lanes in Austin. Yeah,
1: and and there were, I had a moment of uh, it was this was way jammed up in fact it was during formula one um uh, it was during the one show which You've? happened oh yeah yeah forever yeah. ago yeah and so it was so jammed up and yeah there was at least one person kind of swerved you know into me a little bit and some yelling going on
0: um, <laughs> stefan weren't you with me the day when i started um, preaching to the guy about the laws no. no, I was can't downtown. Recall. It's happened so many times. Most of the time when when someone does yell at me and they've got their windows down and I know they can hear me, I just yell out, "Hey, go read the laws. This isn't actually illegal." And and and, and normally fuck you or something too, but you should read up. This, you know, I know it's frustrating to you cuz you're sitting in your car and you can't go anywhere and I just bust right through here. I'm not going fast. I'm not doing like I think when you talk about lane splitting, most people that have been to California go, oh, yeah, that's so dangerous because they're watching some guy blast by at 70 and when you're sitting still. But I'm going 10, 15 miles an hour, right? I'm, yeah, right. I'm not hauling ass through traffic because I don't want to die either.
1: Yeah, right. Have you ridden overseas? Uh, where have I? I've, I've ridden little, like, ADCC dirt bikes in Greece. Um, yeah.
0: Rome, Paris. Oh, uh, so, no, none of those yeah, places. Those, I've ridden those all those scare places. the
1: hell out
2: of me. Yeah,
0: it's it's a different deal. I think
1: London would be real scary. I had no problem in London. I did, I, well, I will say this. I think London drivers are some of the best in the world. There's, yes. there's just like this kind of flow where they just figure it out. They're aware. And the cabbies, those guys are professionals. Well,
0: it's that way, too, in Germany. Germans are the best, in my opinion, mm-hmm. for driving. And then Stefan and I in Italy said the same thing. Yeah, everyone is aware. and it, The lanes don't matter. Everyone's paying attention. Mm-hmm. We don't have that here. People are completely reading their iPods. Well, yeah, that's because they're
3: you know they're sitting there in their semi autonomous vehicle watching a screen, being entertained while they've got their gigantic cup holder full yeah. of Slurpee. In other words, people and a
1: cheeseburger in one hand. Yeah, people are already driving as if they're in self driving cars. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean,
3: it's, when you get in your car, that's not a place that you need to be aware and paying attention. That's just a place where you space out. And a little I think bit part harder. of the
1: reason why you know all the gadgets are, you know, are so tempting is that the driving experience itself has become so uninvolving because contemporary cars they just insulate you from the road so much there's nothing there to hold your attention well, and in that, this country the roads are
3: pretty much straight like there's not that much excitement so not,
0: and now you're getting back to the point which I think is actually interesting and that is talking about why we prefer motorcycles and wanting to push that as a as a form of transportation but I think most people have no idea all they think of is the danger they don't actually realize that getting around a motorcycle is actually at this point a far superior way to to get people around town and around city and parking and I mean everything we build here has this huge legal number that is stamped on every square footage of how many parking spots they have to have Mm. to go with their business and what they do and if they don't have a three million dollar parking garage they're not going to be able to to be in that building and that mm-hmm. i think that's ridiculous i think that's a yeah. backwards way of. and doing you things. go
1: to you know places like bombay and you'll have see a family of four on a little 50 cc mm-hmm. motorcycle and just weaving through no, i think that no does helmets. come
3: back to kind of the intrinsic value of what a motorcycle is as a, as a baseline transport device it's really it's really doesn't good. get much better um it's better Especially for traffic better for parking better fuel efficiency uh, there is a minor downside that you are more vulnerable, but that's easily solved by some baseline intelligence. Like if you are paying attention to what you're doing, and yeah. anybody else around you happens to pay a little bit of attention to what they're doing, it's not it's not actually that dangerous. So
1: it's a it's a cultural problem, right? Because it's it is other people have to be paying attention too. And in California, because lane splitting is common and legal, you know, drivers actually look in their mirror before changing lanes. So. Yeah, yeah those, those things
3: aren't just for like putting on your makeup that's yeah. meant to give you awareness of what's around you.
1: Can
2: you talk a little you started to talk a little bit about the difference between driving a car and riding a motorcycle? Can you talk a little bit more about
1: that? Well, I think I mean one thing that appeals to me about the the old VW bug is that it's so light um, that it's uh you know you feel everything. You know, all the vibrations aren't dampened out and Um, you feel connected to the road um so i guess i started building the bug with the thought you know i probably shouldn't ride as much because um well i had this one stretch where i had four trips to the er in 12 months (laughs) that was on now we talk about how it's not dangerous and yeah (laughs) Yeah. well that was riding dirt bikes do you expect to break bones on a dirt bike off road You are preaching to the choir. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I thought, maybe I can get some of my jollies with a roll cage around me. Um, But, yeah, driving, uh, you know, my other car is a 2000 Nissan Maxima. And, um, you know, it's just, it's so smooth and so kind of frictionless that um, I actually get, if I have to do a long drive on the interstate, I get exhausted from from driving. And even though it's so comfortable, somehow it, it, like, is it start I, nodding I, off.
3: Yeah. Is it exhaustion or just absolute boredom?
1: Maybe it's boredom. Yeah.
3: I, I, I think it's boredom. That's my experience. And it, on the bike, you've got so much happening. You've got all this sensory input. You're actually like in the environment. And you're energized when you right. arrive. Right. You're
1: kind of amped up. Right? Absolutely.
3: Yeah. And you get to sen- that, that sense of um, how the temperature might change just because you went down a a hill that's 20 feet and Mm -hmm. you went into this tiny little valley and now that's 10 degrees colder. Mm -hmm. And just kind of experiencing that is always one of the things that that brings me back. Plus, corners on a motorcycle are the greatest thing ever. Yes, yes.
0: There's nothing like leaning over. Oh, yeah. yeah. You ever find yourself in your car? i do this i sometimes see myself
1: find myself doing an an exaggerated head turn like through the corner like (laughs) right (laughs) yeah Yeah, the count but counter steering
3: in the car doesn't work quite as well (laughs) no
2: so one of the questions that i wanted to ask matthew was you know like most uh creative people have some sort of i don't know i think maybe particular or odd working habits like i know you know stefan likes to get food and let it sit till it's cold uh alan listens to uh all sorts of electronic music constantly while i'm working while he's working working. uh i listen to podcasts all the time while i'm shaping sheet metal do you have anything like that uh
1: uh you know i I probably i probably would be better if i did have some kind of routines everything is so random i never know what i'm going to be doing in every given day but um what do i do i mean i'll listen to music if i'm doing something that doesn't require a lot of head scratching if it's a little bit repetitive and that's nice when you get something that's a little repetitive because for the most part there's very little repetition in what i'm doing in the shop um, if I'm working on writing, then I have to have dead silence pretty much. And I'll, I'll go to the, uh, the library usually just because I have to get away from all my own shit because mm-hmm. it's just it's oppressive and it's distracting and there's so many other things I could be doing. So I have to have, be at a, an empty table with none of my stuff anywhere nearby. So I go to the library.
0: I have to, the way I got through college was, was by using the in-ear headphones that block out everything else. Go to a coffee shop. Uh, where there's activity going on, there's things mm. happening. You, yeah. I can have my stuff, that doesn't matter, but I can then have the discipline to focus for 30 minutes mm-hmm. at a time and then break, have
1: another coffee, yeah. whatever. And, and it's nice to have with. a little bit of ass traffic just so that when you look up. <laughs> you know, that's what the library is I, I think this podcast might be
2: entitled Ass
1: Traffic. I think,
0: I think it's a good idea. I think we need a T-shirt that says Ass Traffic. I never thought about that. That's a good one.
1: Yeah, Yeah. but maybe. Maybe that's it. Just keeps the energy going.
0: Part of it for me was the discipline of having to ignore the other people. Uh, There's something to that. Like, I need uh, that. The strength to have the barrier of needing to ignore everyone helped me to focus on what I was doing. Yet, if I'm at home, there's no discipline, right? I can just Uh do whatever the hell I want. He's
2: he's a little ADD. A little.
0: Oh, me too. ADHD, for sure. Yeah, and maybe that's it. I mean... I feel the need to tell people all the time like I don't actually do drugs and I'm just energetic and I caffeine's my addiction that's it you know I yeah. there's a I, I, w- I don't feel like it, maybe I was that way before too but I, I don't think that happened until we really started to do this we started to swing into something we both we all cared about and then I, I get the other thing that's a motivating factor that's easy to motivate is when you have other people hmm. if it's just you you know but if someone else is relying upon you
1: yeah i had an intern this past summer and yeah i had to actually be there on time and (laughs) stick it out even on the the hot sticky days you had appointments
3: yeah (laughs) so we were talking about kind of the the experience of, of driving a motorcycle and why that's good because it really is and i believe strongly that it's intrinsically good it's not just that i have a preference for it i think that riding a motorcycle is intrinsically good but i've recently seen the new bmw kind of self-balancing self-everything bike and i actually don't know much about it yet i'm wondering if if anybody else is is... i i've
1: i've just heard no more than what you already said okay
3: i'm nervous about that as like a direction like across the board like what i get it it makes it safer okay i'm uh, that doesn't bother me but what is it doing to the involvement of the rider and how is that augmenting the experience for the rider
1: self-balancing yeah that sounds like i mean you know we've got obviously traction control and wheelie control and all that stuff all those electronic rider aids that i i mean i've only ridden bikes with all that stuff a couple of times but my sense is that they're they're pretty unobtrusive Maybe because I'm not riding at the kind of limits where these things really begin.
3: Honestly, that was my experience, too, at least with uh, traction control and all the rest of that stuff. It didn't it didn't interfere with yeah. the, the, the good part of the experience. Yeah, and right. I'm hoping that at least with this kind of new concept bike that they came out with, that it leaves enough control for the rider. And it just sort of kind of, it's almost like bumper bowling where it just sort of keeps you out of the gutter and mm. keeps you from getting yourself into trouble. But you still have the
1: the enjoyment of what you're really trying to do otherwise what's the point I mean hard to see who would want to want such a thing yeah. although you do see people you know in these three-wheeled things what are they called the oh, or something well, no those those are the things, two yeah, 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 like, yeah. Have, the like, reverse trikes what is the appeal there
3: I think I'll, I'll actually give those people a little bit of slack it's not something that I'm interested in but for for people that are still intimidated by the two-wheeler and like the balancing of a motorcycle, mm-hmm. that at least gets them out of the cage and into yeah. the environment. Okay. So they get that that first layer experience of riding where you, you're you transiting through the environment. The air is actually moving across your face and across yeah. your skin. You feel the temperature changes and all of that. You lack that, com- that coordinated turn, right? Like on the motorcycle, you lean in and all the force goes right through the center and you're not sliding around in the seat. Yeah. You're just planted on the bike. You miss right. that part, but yeah. eh, it's okay. So with yeah. this kind of, change in technology what do you see kind of on the horizon or what what of the new um, technologies that are coming out do you think are worth worthwhile
1: or what are you fascinated by well I'm I'm preparing to dive into um, do-it-yourself electronic engine management Um, so this is not you know new 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 but But your own personal project right new for me yeah but if you're talking about stuff sort of on the horizon for for kind of manufactured stuff or really any
3: of it i yeah. mean if there's if there's a technology that you have kind of excited about or interested mm-hmm. in and i mean i'm also interested in kind of diy engine management so that's something that we probably yeah. can really nerd out about yeah we,
1: yeah yeah maybe your listeners aren't too into that but i mean the 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 great upshot of it of course is it offers you exquisite controls that you can tune to within an inch of your life. And and then for, you know, realize real horsepower. I guess for me, what I'm interested in with that is
3: more about uh, the experimentation and learning. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't accept that the manufacturers have done this exactly perfect, and I might want it to be slightly different, and I want to have a better understanding about how the modification of certain variables affects the outcome.
1: Yeah, just as an intellectual kind of... um, exploration it's fascinating to see you know all this whole sort of uh all these variables and how they map on together and affect each other it's, and they're all interrelated in you can't move
3: one thing yeah. without affecting the entire chain and it's yeah. it seems like tuning is much more of an art um or an applied science it's not a, a mm. just a numbers game you can't That's you right. can't make a mathematical model and predict you basically yeah. have to build it test it and adjust it
1: yeah which makes you wonder how they model at like climate change, given that just modeling an internal combustion engine is almost seems. Uh, yeah, that's uh, a really good point.
0: Uh, so climate change, we <laughs> we just got to that, really. So so the planet is not warming.
1: That's right. Because it's all debunked. Wrong. <laughs> wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Timely joke. Wrong. Um, what I was going to ask was, um, what are you working on? You got anything you're writing? I haven't read in
1: the second book. I Hopefully, yeah. I'll do that soon. Yeah, but. so the second book is about attention as a cultural problem. Oh. Yeah. Really? So, I think it'd be right up your alley. Since I
0: just <laughs> jumped around a bit. Are you joking? Or are
1: you no, serious? No, that's what it's about. It's uh, it's called The World Beyond Your Head, and the subtitle is On Becoming an Individual in an Age of Distraction.
0: Oh, my God. Wait, what are we talking about?
3: <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, that
0: was funny. Um, Yeah. That's interesting. When yeah. did this
1: book come out? Um, um like a year and a half ago, something like so that. So you're still on the book tour? <laughs> well, I, I talk about it here and there. Yeah, I'll have um, to read that.
0: But yeah. are you working on anything else? Well, I
1: just started working on uh, a book about driving, actually. Well, that's great. Yeah, and so the the sort of thing that's hovering in the background is the, the you know, self driving cars that are coming. So I'm making a case for driving.
0: Well, I think, I think that in the interest of your book, you A, you need to drive my 911 today. I mean, yeah. And, and B, you need to go to Formula One. That's my plan. We're just getting yeah. some
1: passes. Yeah, the, the good fellows at Revival hooked me up. So <laughs> no, Formula I didn't mean passes. it like that. I
0: just, I just meant you need to go do that yeah. for research purposes. So,
1: so yeah, the, uh, the title is Rolling Your Own. <laughs> 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 the subtitle is Sovereignty on Wheels. So, I like yeah, it. I'm, yeah, I like I'm, it. I'm pretty into it. Rolling. So and partly own. it's going to be an investigation of various automotive subcultures. Um, You know, for, well, one thing I'm going to do is get taken on as a co-driver for one leg of the Baja 1000. Oh, Ooh. boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So what I'm, one thing I'm interested in is this whole world of kind of folk engineering or things like, you know, class five unlimited Baja bugs, you know, for decades, there's been this kind of unsponsored collective evolution of knowledge and it's centered in Southern California. They just keep getting faster and faster. Um, So I think we're actually living through the second golden age of hot rodding right now. Really? You know, if the first one kind of really flourished after World War II, right up until the 80s when electronic engine management came in and made things kind of opaque under the hood, Mm -hmm. you know, eventually, you know, the... The gearheads learn how to code, or the, you know, the nerds learned, got interested in cars. In any case, it's now, you know, f- people f- figure out how to hack all that stuff, and yeah. uh, I would agree it's, it's completely. Employed. It's happening
3: yeah. in motorcycles too. It, there's yeah. just a, a resurgence in people interested in in machinery and yeah, and, and these technical
1: forums yeah. are fantastic. I mean, you can learn so much once you learn who the real gurus are. Yeah, where, where do you what do you think that's coming out of Matthew? Um. I don't know, just people love to go fast and they love to mess with their own stuff and kind of make it their own.
3: I think I think that this can all be basically tracked back to Al Gore and when he invented the internet, he enabled this all to happen.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> what I was no, going <laughs> to say in all seriousness is that you've touched upon kind of one of the things that we're very much, what I was trying to talk about earlier is propagating this mentality that, that nothing's too complicated for someone to kind of take on and mm-hmm. modify and change. Mm-hmm. Certainly, one of the things we realized about ourselves, uh, versus uh, some of the other "quote unquote" custom builders that we knew in the world, is that we were nerds, and that you know we re- yeah. like to read. And you
1: know, I tell you, that was so. I would okay. I have to confess, I was a little bit dreading coming here because I didn't know anything about you guys. And I thought, oh, you didn't know we were nerds. <laughs> it's going to be a bunch of art school hipsters and. <laughs> no, but it, we only have one, one or
3: maybe two of those. Yeah.
1: But it turns out you're like engineering nerds and you know so that it was actually really. Design, refreshing. engineering, yeah. writing,
0: all of it. There's yeah. a scientific study to every bit of it. And
2: I, I did actually go to art school.
0: <laughs> okay. And the reason the reason he's here is because he's uh, uh better at But being you a got nerd.
1: those metal shaping chops that are really impressive. So you've redeemed yourself. <laughs>
0: From art school.
1: <laughs> Stefan's the
0: the yeah, I've got a business degree, and Stefan yeah. has a, a engineering degree and somehow in the middle yeah, so so it's not
1: it's not precious, you no. know, and a lot of i think the you know this whole cafe racer phenomena is just is so precious
0: and and takes itself entirely too
1: seriously,
0: yeah. right okay. we take the project seriously, but beyond that then the one of the main things we found is that every time we built something we
1: want it to be like so rideable that it's like insane. See, that's it. Right? It has to really you know be rideable, yeah. and that somehow that consideration just drops out with for a lot of them. Yeah,
0: yeah. We would we competed in the contest recently where there was like four builders, and they gave us what we consider to be kind of a small budget, and but we wanted to participate in this to build a bike, and we showed up with a bike that specifically the day we decided to do it, I was like, all right, well, it's going to do wheelies, and and that was our main thing was that the bike we build has to do wheelies and look ridiculous. So we showed up with this Buell. We turned it into a dirt bike and everybody else had street bikes, cafe racers that, that are cafe racers. I mean, you know, all right, like there, this thing was just as fast. It just happened to do wheelies and have dirt bike tires on it too. Yeah.
1: Anyway, way more fun.
2: So Matthew, uh, where can we find your books? everywhere dude wherever
1: yeah. fine books are sold yeah uh, <laughs> that's
2: that's the soundbite i was <laughs> yeah, looking yeah, for yeah, yeah. uh do you have a website uh social
1: media you want to plug uh i don't i'm not have, have any social media because uh, that I've, makes me like you even more <laughs> but i do have a website uh it should still be there i haven't looked in a while it's uh, matthewbcrawford.com
0: so you're a big self-promoter big time yeah, I mean, you wouldn't leave us alone about doing this podcast. It was so like annoying how much you begged us. <laughs> um
1: <laughs> You really don't. You you're so you don't you don't really update your site or any of that. Um what would I put on there? I mean, that was not I've, I, I, uh, no, I'd already. like to
0: see your Volkswagen. I'd like to see yeah. what you're working on both. In well, I also have a shop sense. site.
1: Um so that's uh <laughs> uh well the- Wait, it's, there, was, there was some day when it made sense to um, to give my shop a new name, and uh, what I for at the time it seemed good to name it uh, the Reclaimed Vehicle Fabrication Laboratory.
0: Wow, that's complicated. Yeah, um, so <laughs> it's pretty
1: nerdy. <laughs> yeah,
0: the restoration shop. Yeah, so um, that is nerdy. Yeah, but you you seem embarrassed, meaning you don't put out what you do on, in that shop.
1: Well, now there's a website for it, but I I don't like update it with stuff. What's the website? So the website is, um, I think it's reclaimed dot com. I love the may know. or may not be a dash we'll, in there. We'll, we'll fact check that. I was say, okay.
0: you could Google that. What yeah. you said, reclaimed vehicle.
1: They can't, can't be too many
0: of those. Yeah, probably not. That's pretty awesome. So I was, you know, that's great to talk about your book. I was going to say one thing is that is what are you hoping to, how are you hoping to expand either what you do, your skills or any of that? I can see that you had an intense knowledge or intense interest in the metal shaping part of what we do. Are you going to get into doing CAD machining or what do you want to do to expand on your, I
1: thought I would, but then I, I I realized there's just such a learning curve to get into the CAD, you know, and I wanted to, I wanted to get a mill and, and start, you know, making hard parts like that. But,
0: the question is, what do you want to make that
1: you well, can't make if right if now? Well, if you want to come and hang out for a week, I can get you up to speed. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Well, thank or, you. Or four years. I, I may well uh, take you up on that. And and also with Andy with the metal shaping, he's got some, some tricks I want to learn. But um, at one point, what I was fixated on making is a carbon fiber subframe. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make... Um, aluminum kind of end pieces that would join the carbon fiber tubes together. You didn't see the motorcycle I showed you earlier? That's exactly
0: what we intend to do. Oh, with really? The frame. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, I've well. spent
3: a fair amount of time thinking about that exact construction technique, and I haven't really seen it executed, mm-hmm. um, but I think it
1: has merit. I think so, too, and I think you could be very small tubing. It'd be very fine-looking and very our, rigid. And
0: yeah, the, we're, we're, talk, we're talking birdcage frame is yeah. what we're mm-hmm. going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I sincerely just wanted to thank you for coming to visit us in general and for uh, inspiring us to to do this and uh, for visiting, and we hope you come back.
1: It's been a real pleasure talking to you guys and, and, and learning uh, about what you're doing, and uh, I wish you the best of luck. I think you, you really deserve it.